Matthew chapter 10, and we'll be looking at verses 16 through 25 this morning. I'm sure that most of you have heard that expression, throwing in the towel. Throwing in the towel means to retreat or to give up. And I think there's always been somewhere along the line in our lives where we thought, I'm just going to throw in the towel. I can't take it any longer. I'm giving up on this project. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus never gives us the idea of throwing in the towel when it comes to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. The subject matter, which we've mentioned a couple of times, even in our singing, is the idea of endurance. Endurance must characterize our passion and our mission for Christ. Again, here in our passage, in our text, we're given some wonderful examples from a small band of followers of Christ who did endure. They endured opposition, they endured arrests, they endured scourgings, they endured executions. Reminds me of some who have suffered for Christ uh, uh, throughout history. I think of John Wycliffe and William Teasdale, or Tyndale, excuse me, William Tyndale, and uh, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and some of those that uh, have given their lives for the giving out, getting out the gospel. There's a host of others. Let me just give you an illustration from history among these who've given and suffered for Christ's sake and getting out the gospel. Among these would be John Rogers, who used the pseudonym Thomas Matthews as he labored with William Tyndale on translating the scriptures into the English language. John Rogers studied at Oxford University, and those studies put him into the ranks of one of England's finest translators. He was invited by some Belgium merchants to join Tyndale in the translation work, and while translating the scriptures, the light came on. And he became uh, uh, so... uh, enlightened, I guess you could say, by what he was translating, that he put his faith in Christ. After completing the translation that became known as Matthew's Bible, this was a forerunner to our King James Bible, but uh, Henry VIII placed it in all the churches of Britain, and John Rogers moved away from the hot spot of Belgium, where Tyndale had been arrested and executed, And he moved to Wittenberg, Germany, where he served there as a pastor. And he faithfully preached God's word until returning to England upon the ascension of the good King Edward VI to the throne. And Edward appointed him to two churches in in London, London, as well as a lectureship in St. Paul's. But when Edward died, suddenly Queen Mary rose quickly to quell the preaching of the gospel and charged with heresy before the unprincipled bishop Stephen Gardiner, Rogers replied this. He said, That which I have preached I will seal with my blood. And soon he did as he burned, was burned alive at Smithfield, but his endurance continued even in the flames. A French ambassador 
observing the execution resembling more, uh, said it resembled more of a wedding than an execution. And such is the case with those who's Uh, who are owned by Jesus Christ, who endure to the end. Now, some of that endurance still continues today. And by the way, I would say here that we don't really know what real persecution is, do we? After we talk about something like these men have gone through. You know, I I haven't heard any reports of any people being burned at the stake, or imprisoned, or beat up for their witness for Christ in Washburn County. In fact, I haven't seen a headline in Spooner Advocate, Christian burned at the stake for gospel witness. You, don't, you haven't seen that, have you? I haven't. I haven't had a Fox News alert saying Baptist preacher in Wisconsin jailed for preaching the gospel. See, we, we really don't know what that kind of persecution is, do we? And to be sure, our world is becoming increasingly hostile toward the gospel, and there are those in our community that I'm sure don't want anything to do with us or the message that we preach. But it's only as Christians endure as gospel messengers that the world has any hope. Our mission in this 21st century is to carry the gospel into our community and into the world, but we will not do it without opposition or criticism or enemies. I want you to notice with me what our passage is saying to us this morning. Notice, first of all, Christ sends. Christ sends. Now, the context of Christ instructing and sending the twelve on their first mission is is really the giving of a, a commission to them, and it's really given to them in a concentric fashion. You know what I mean by concentric? Well, if you can think about a target with a bullseye, and then there's that first circle around it and another circle. Now now you know what I'm talking about? Okay? Concentric. You see, Jesus is saying, first of all, there's in that first circle. Now, if you would take a piece of paper and write your name in the middle of that piece of paper and draw a circle around your name and then perhaps you would think about anyone who is at arm's length to you. Who would that be? Well, that would be your family. And then you draw another circle around that circle and you think about who are the people that I have to go out of that first circle to reach. Maybe I have to go out of my house. I have to go into my community. I have to talk to uh, my, my uh, co-workers, my neighbor, my classmates. And then you draw another circle around that circle, and you may have to go someplace else in the state to be a witness and carry the gospel message and maybe continue on with those circles and see how that reaches out. And what Jesus is instructing here, he's saying to his followers, I'm giving you instruction for those first circles. The work there right in Galilee and to their own countrymen. And then the other circles uh, widened to regions beyond where they would be not welcomed. They would be arrested. They would be punished. And they would be put to death. And he warns them here in our passage today that it's 
One's own family may even betray you. Someone in your family may lead to your death. Now that's an awful thought, that our own family would reject our message. That someone in our own family would say, I don't want to hear about the gospel. I don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. That's certainly not unheard of, is it? Perhaps you've experienced it yourself, or you've heard of it happening right here in our own part of the world, where young people get saved and they get kicked out of the house. I've known some young people that got saved and they said, uh, their parents said, you don't, you're not welcome here anymore. Or perhaps you've heard of some parents who are giving the gospel and they're, they're saved and their children don't want anything to do with them anymore. They don't want to talk to them. What the Lord is doing here is really setting the framework for later verses where true disciples include fearing Christ rather than the world. He'll, he'll talk about that in verses 26 to 31. Uh, he'll talk about confessing Christ before men in verses 32 and 33. He'll talk about loving Christ above all in verses 34 through 39. And so with this in mind, Christ has sent us into the world with the gospel. And notice, first of all, it is an intentional mission. An intentional mission. Sometimes... Uh, we've heard and of people being robbed or assaulted because they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But opposition and unfriendly circumstances in our Christian mission are not untimely accidents. Look at what Jesus says in verse 16. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. He says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. He says, I send you forth. Now the word send in the Greek language was not a word commonly used in their everyday Greek language, or the Koine Greek as it's called. It was a special term for that means to send authoritatively or to send out as a representative. Now, a representative for Christ we call an ambassador. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 20, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled unto God. We are called to be ambassadors. We are called to be representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ in those circles, that close circle of our family, that wider circle of our community, and even on out into the uttermost parts of the world. Now, a, an ambassador is one who goes on a mission as a representative of Christ. And we bear the testimony of the gospel and its power to transform sinners. We go with the authority of Christ. He says, Behold, I send you. It's an authoritative sending that Christ is doing here. The authority of, uh, authority of Christ that has been delegated to them to preach and then to heal and to de deliver. They go forth with a message that can turn the heart of a wolf into that of a sheep. Now you know what? A ambassadors don't always 
find smooth sailing, do they? Even the, the ambassadors of the United States do not find smooth sailing. I can't help but think of Ambassador Stevens, I believe it was, in Benghazi, Libya, who was killed this past September the 11th. He was a representative of our president, and uh, uh, he was not necessarily on a Christian mission, but when it talks about these sheep in the midst of wolves, that pictures the stark reality of what happens when, a, when the gospel is carried to the world. Sometimes in the scriptures, the word sheep is metaphorically used as those who are dumb and senseless, but that's not the case here. It's not talking about a dumb sheep. It's talking about a defenseless sheep. One that is defenseless. Now, Christians are not going to conquer the world by military might. We're not like Islam. We don't have direction from the Quran to conquer the non-believers in the name of Allah. We don't have direction from Christ to go out and mobilize with weaponry and suicide bombs and explosives to crush the enemy. But instead, Christ sends us forth as sheep in the midst of wolves to carry the good news of salvation of Christ to the wolves. Now, Christ sends his followers into some hostile settings. Make no mistake about that. Jesus does not call Christians to an easy task. In the midst of wolves is pretty, not a pretty scene here. If you can imagine the sheep out in the midst of the wolves, it tells us the reality of men's hearts, that of enmity with God. Men's hearts that are loving the darkness of sin rather than the light of the truth. But Christ sends out his disciples as messengers of hope into that setting, and that tells us the certainty that the gospel alone can turn God-haters into passionate lovers of God through Christ. Christ's intentional mission for his disciples gives us confidence that he intends to continue his saving work in a multitude of God-hating sinners until he returns. So take heart. Notice, secondly, it's not only an intentional mission, but there's a sustaining condition. A sustaining condition. Notice in the second half of verse 16 where he says, not only do I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now this calls for a right response to those wolves. Now what do snakes or serpents and doves have in common? He says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Wise as serpents means there's prudence and wisdom in face of danger. You know, snakes are able to maneuver their way out of danger many times. You may not like snakes, but there is something very interesting about them. Some people love to be around snakes and, and have them, but some people are deathly afraid of them. I don't want anything to do with a snake, you say, right? But you have to, as you look at them in nature, they have the ability to maneuver out of danger. You may not like them, but they are interesting, okay? <laughs> Wisdom is a human quality, and it involves insight, 
and circumspection and sanctified common sense, if you will. Do the right thing at the right time and the place in the right manner. Now, how will this word or action look in the end? How will it affect my future or of that of my neighbor? You know, sometimes we have neighbors and we have even family members, I'm sure, uh, that irritate us, do we not? Ever known someone to irritate you? As uh, our youngest daughter made up the word, agonate. You're an agonator. (laughs) Sometimes people really irritate us. Well, how do we respond? What's the best way to handle a problem? This is all a part of being a good testimony for the Lord. But we're not called to compromise our convictions just to escape opposition. He also says we're to be harmless as doves. Now, the word harmless here is a word that means unmixed. It means having a single-mindedness to do the right thing. Doves happen to maintain zeal without fear of danger. We're to be zealous with pure motives. We're not to just spend our days trying to make our lives comfortable. Do you realize that most Americans are spending a lot of money and time just trying to be comfortable? And we as Christians can fall into that trap as well. I just want to be comfortable. I don't want any any hardships. I don't want anything to challenge me. I don't want anybody to oppose me. I just want to be comfortable. Give me my lazy boy boy and my clicker, and uh, I'm, I'm ready. We need a balance in our mission, is what Jesus is saying. He says we need wisdom for proper caution along with zeal to get the message out. Now, we're not to be a bull in a chiny closet. Uh, uh, and we're not to have that kind of attitude that we're going to just go in and we're going to start firing our uh, bazookas for Christ and we're just going to barrel in without thought or without care. No. We're going to be careful that we might uh, not be offensive, but not unloving either. We're not trying to blow some away with our harshness. We need to speak the truth in love. And so Christ sends us, and it's an intentional mission, but there's a sustaining condition, and that condition is that go in with a balance to your mission. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Secondly, we find here Christ warns, verse 17. He says, but be aware of, be, beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the, the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Now Christ here is warning his disciples, his apostles here. He's giving them instruction. It's like a general warns his soldiers going into battle. A soldier might stand before his men and he might say something like this, Men, some of you will not return. Some of you will be wounded, you'll be maimed, or you'll be captured by the enemy. But go forth for the cause of justice and liberty. Fight with all your might. Lay down your life, if need be, for the cause that unites us. By the way, I'm very thankful for those of you that have fought 
in our armed forces with courage and devotion to provide liberty and justice for all. Thank you, veterans, for your service. But Christ here is warning his disciples in the same way as a general might warn his soldiers, his troops. Christ calls us as his Christian soldiers to go with the same courage, the same devotion to provide eternal hope, eternal liberty because of the eternal work of Christ on the cross. And it may be dangerous to carry the gospel to the world. Are you praying for Tim and Luda Smith? They're probably in one of the most dangerous places in the world that they could be. In Turkey, in the middle of Muslims, Islamic religion, where they don't know who they're going to talk to might go ahead and carry out one of those instructions from the Quran. It could be dangerous, life-threatening. So Christ warns here, and he says, first of all, there's opposition lies in wait. Opposition lies in wait. Christ declares, but beware of men, men of opposition, for they will deliver you up into the councils, into the, they will scourge you in their synagogues. Not only the kings and governors, but there's even the religious. He goes on to say there in verse 18, And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Think of those governors and those kings that the apostles stood before. Uh, they stood before Pilate and Felix and Festus and Herod and Agrippa and even Nero. That's important to know your history. If you know who Nero is, you know he wasn't a nice person. The apostles bore an eloquent testimony to Christ and the gospel. By the way, I think it was Nero who put Christians on stakes and lit them to be lights along the avenue. I'm telling you, it was dangerous. And it still can be dangerous. A testimony for Christ and the gospel, even before religious leaders of the Sanhedrin, uneducated men standing before these so-called theologians. Now, we may not stand before governors or kings, but some do in some parts of the world, and the question is, how do we handle the situations we do find ourselves because of the gospel? How do we handle ourselves in the workplace? How do we handle ourselves in the marketplace? How do we handle ourselves before our schoolmates and teachers? Are we ready? Are we willing to give a reason for the hope that lies within us? That leads us, secondly, to anxiety is unnecessary. Anxiety is unnecessary. Verse 19 says, But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. The Lord calms the nerves of His followers. Now, this is not an excuse for laziness. This is not an excuse not to study the Bible. This is not an excuse not to memorize Scripture. This is not an excuse for a lack of preparation for times of teaching and preaching and witness. We're to be faithful. We're to study 
to show ourselves approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the, the word of truth. But this is a comfort in the midst of the warning. There will be opposition, but don't worry about it. And I'm afraid some Christians' motto is, why pray when you can worry? And I think also this is where our memorization of Psalm 37 comes in, doesn't it? Are you memorizing Psalm 37? Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou afraid, uh, envious against the workers of iniquity. As it was pointed out to us recently, as we've been memorizing, it says fret not three times. Jesus Christ assures his persecuted followers that they will have the Spirit's assistance in speaking just the right word. Yes, we need to be studied up. We need to be prayed up. We need to be uh, ready to give a word of, uh, of hope. We need to give the gospel. And God, the Holy Spirit, will help you be that witness you need to be. So Christ sends, Christ warns, and then thirdly, Christ encourages. Christ encourages. Verse 21. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now you say, first of all, boy, that doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? As I was saying before, sometimes even our own family members can turn against us when it comes to the gospel. The all here uh, that is saying is in this case used as a qualitative rather than a quantitative sense. You will be hated by all manner of people, including those of your own family. And in countries where Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and even Judaism prevails, when a person comes to faith in Christ and publicly declares his faith, that person may very well face intense opposition or even death at the hands of his own family. And that's happening today. The one place that ought to be a refuge for us and the place of security, of course, is our family. But for many, that's a danger zone. It happens in our own country as well. Perhaps you know from experience what I'm saying. Families declare dead their family members who've become Christians. They no longer are welcomed at family gatherings. They have no inheritance. But we can rejoice to be considered worthy to suffer shame for Christ's name. Notice how Christ encourages here. First of all, identification with Christ identification with Christ. It's because of the Christian's identity with Christ that he faces persecution and opposition. He says here, ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, or all manner of men. The word name conveys all that the person is and stands for. Never mind that the kind of hatred shown to believers is unreasonable or unrational or irrational. It is a reality and one that Christ insists that a Christian understand. Think of it. Those who are identified because of their love for Christ and others are now hated because of that love. Can you explain 
such animosity apart from the exposing the dark and the wicked hearts of human depravity. Persecution becomes a badge of authenticity for the Christian. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not maybe, shall suffer persecution. For 2 Timothy 3.12. Because Christ was opposed, so will he, his followers be opposed. You're going to face opposition. But in such identity, glory rather than grieve. For it's a permanent brand mark of Christ in the believer's life. And so we come here to enduring because of Christ. Enduring because of Christ. And so one warned by Christ and now identified with Christ, you need to endure to the end. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. The perseverance of your faith. The epistle to the Romans and the Galatians and the Hebrews are all epistles, letters of endurance. Revelation is a book exhorting endurance. And while there is a certainty that the one that began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ, it's just as certain that those being preserved will also be persevering in the faith. Now, does this put the obligation of salvation upon our own strength? Certainly not. That salvation was settled at the cross. We do not have to, this does not say, well, if you endure, then you're going to be saved. No, salvation was settled at the cross. The certainty of our election and calling is found in the strength to persevere in the faith. Christ did not hesitate to call for endurance because he knows what he has placed within the heart of every believer so that we can endure. So we find here that we are identified with Christ and we endure because of Christ and then we need to have a zeal for Christ. Zeal for Christ. Now this is not a call for voluntary martyrs. Christ does not counsel us to brush aside common sense. He doesn't say, you know, who's going to volunteer today to be martyred? No, he's not saying that. No one's going to volunteer to be burned at the stake. Nobody's going to volunteer. But he says there in verse 23, but when they persecute, in this, persecute you in this city, flee ye unto another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man come. In other words, when persecution comes, don't just throw in the towel don't just give up, but rather keep proclaiming. Follow the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. You know, he would often wind up in the center of controversy that ended up in hostility. And sometimes the Apostle Paul would get out of town. Sometimes he realized it's time to get out of Dodge. Time to get out of here. It's getting too hot. And he did that so he'd still have freedom to preach the gospel. He didn't stick around just to prove a point about how much faith he had in the Lord. He used common sense and discernment. And that's what Christ is counseling us to do as well. Use common sense. The call is here for continued zeal for Christ. You might find, uh, find uh, you're facing persecution, but do not let that seal your lips. 
and carry on the gospel message. He says, For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man may come. The meaning of this, of course, being debated by Bible scholars, but the fact still remains that the purpose is to encourage us as Christ followers to stay at the work, keep spreading the news, spreading the gospel, spreading the fact that Jesus Christ loves us and cares for us. Endure as Christians and gospel messengers. And that's the heart of Christ's instruction here. This means we must endure with a biblical gospel and not attempt to change it. Be careful that we don't change the gospel so that we won't have that opposition. Many have tried to water it down and say, well, uh, we'll give you something you like to hear. We must not give in to temptation to alter the gospel just to become more popular because the very enmity against the gospel that we face when the gospel is properly preached and proclaimed is not a sign that we're doing something wrong. Just because you face opposition doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. It may mean you're doing the very thing that Christ has called you to do. may well be the sign that you're doing precisely what God wants you to do, individually, we as a church as well. Most of you know that I have a tendency sometimes to step on toes from time to time, but I want to stay true to the Word of God. It's not me stepping on your toes, but the Spirit of God through the Word of God working in your heart. That's what I want. And I trust you'll be sensitive to the Lord's working in your life and you'll be obedient to the Word. Be a faithful messenger of the good news of the Gospel. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You so much for the instruction, the warning and even the encouragement that you gave gave to your apostles and that you extend to us as well. Lord, help us not to realize that living the, or help us to realize that living the Christian life is not just a, a life of ease. We're not just to be trying to make ourselves comfortable in this world, but we are to be faithful to give the word of God out and we will face opposition. And Lord, we know that you'll be with us. You'll help us to know what to say if we've been faithful in our study of the word. And Lord, you'll help us to know what to say when we face that opposition that may even come from someone in our own family. Someone who does not know Christ. They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand. They think we're weird. We think we're uh, uh, fanatics. But Lord, we know what your word says. And we thank you for it. We thank you for the gift of love, of salvation through Jesus Christ. And we pray that we'll be faithful to give out the good news of the gospel, even in the midst of wolves, that might, that has the power, we know, to change wolves into sheep. Lord, bless the message to our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name.